Oh, good morning. Am I on? Are we good? There we are. Uh, first of all, it has been a minute since I've been able to be up here and deliver the message on Sunday morning. Uh, I looked back January 8th, so uh, I don't know who complained, but well done. Uh, well done. Nice job. Uh, it worked. So your comment cards, we read those. Uh, we read those comments, complaints, criticisms, all of them. Uh, we love them. Bring them on. It's great. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to say uh, it's, it's a privilege to be up here to be able to deliver God's word uh, this morning and, and next week as well. Um, and uh, just give you uh, just this, this last February, uh, I was given an opportunity to go on a uh, much needed sabbatical. Uh, I had been in ministry full-time for 15 years, and I requested to Randy, uh, hey, I could use an extended just breath. Um, I had finished grad school last August and just needed just that time to recalibrate. Uh, and I know that that is not something that everyone gets, so I didn't take that time for granted and just spent some much-needed time with the Lord. Um, and so it's just been... It's a privilege to be back up here and being able to share and deliver God's word. So, like every good sermon should start, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 5. Uh, because we're going to spend the next two weeks in the Gospels, not covering all of the Gospels. That would be ridiculous. But John chapter 5 uh, is where we're going to hang out. And we're going to actually be in a story today about Jesus healing a man by the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. The next two weeks, I want to take a brief look at two of Jesus' miracles because the miracles of Jesus remind us of Jesus' identity as the Son of God, Savior of the world, and the miracles remind us of Jesus' intentions to offer hope, love, grace, truth, and restoration. Miracles remind us of Jesus' identity. And Jesus' intentions, and there is not a day that goes by that I don't need to be reminded who Jesus is and what Jesus does for me. Amen? I'm nervous. Feels like it's been a long time. It's like the jump ball before the game. You just, everything's just new. It feels new. So here we go. As we read this scripture, I want to just prepare you a little bit. As we read the scripture today, I want us to be on the lookout for one major theme. Hope. And I say theme of hope because you will not find the word of hope in our passage today, but the theme of hope is sprinkled everywhere. In this story, Jesus has two major interactions one with a man stricken with a physical inability, and the other interaction happens with a group of Jewish leaders. Both need hope. Both need Jesus, they just don't know it yet. But what we know is that Jesus carries hope everywhere he goes. So as we follow Jesus through this story, through these interactions, we are following hope. So, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 17, buckle in, it's a long story. Just before all of this story, Jesus has healed an official son in Cana in Galilee, just north of Jerusalem. So right after this, John writes, After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, in Aramaic, called 
Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the, into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews, we'll read that as Jewish leaders, said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now that man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is God's word for us today. Did, did you see the theme of hope? Did, did, did you see how hope followed Jesus everywhere he went? Did, did you see it? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, hope followed. When, when, when Jesus entered Bethesda, hope followed. When Jesus entered this conversation, hope followed. When Jesus entered the temple, hope followed. When Jesus entered the persecuting dialogue, hope followed. Why? Because Jesus is continually in places where hope is needed, and Jesus is continually where hope is found. The problem is, we do our best to seek out hope in other people, places, or things. What's true, though, is that authentic, powerful, grace-filled, loving hope that is not fake, that is not false, that is not fragile, is found only in Jesus. But why? Why is the hope in Jesus so important? I mean, if we're going to spend 35 minutes on this, why, why is the hope in Jesus so important? What makes the hope of Jesus, what makes the hope that Jesus offers so unique? Here's the big idea. You ready? The hope of Jesus offers freedom. The hope of Jesus offers freedom. And you might be asking, freedom from what, Justin? Freedom from what? No, freedom. That's a complete sentence. Because when we ask freedom from what, we are implying that there is something that the hope of Jesus doesn't cover. It applies to all. The hope of Jesus offers freedom. And in our scripture today, this powerful hope offers freedom from burdens that haven't been able to or could be surrendered, eased, or released any other way. 
So let's look at these burdens, okay? What, what burden is the man at the pool facing? What, what is his struggle? Well, it might be obvious, right? Jesus offers hope to those carrying the burden of brokenness. Jesus offers hope to those carrying the burden of brokenness. After Jesus heals the official son in John 4, he heads up to Jerusalem for this unnamed feast of the Jews. Now, now John's gospel is not specific to tell us which feast it actually is. If it happened to be Passover, this would have been the beginning of Jesus' second year in ministry. But John simply tells us that this is a feast which acts as a historical marker of why Jesus would have been in Jerusalem. Now, the Pool of Bethesda, which means House of Mercy, was a landscape of the suffering waiting for these waters of the pool to be stirred with the desire to be healed of their affliction. Now, you all are a smart crowd, so you've probably taken notice, Bible trivia here, there is no John chapter 5, verse 4. If you have your scripture, look at it. There's, if, unless you have the King James Version or the New American Standard, there is no John chapter 5, verse 4. And this is because the earliest manuscripts did not contain this verse at all. Now, verse 4 says in the NASB, the New American Standard, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. Now, Bible scholars for once agree uh, that this verse probably began as a marginal note explaining the local superstition and why the lame man thought he needed someone to help him get into the pool first. So here's, here's what we can do about verse 4 and the absence of it in the ESV or NIV. We, we can reject that this was a part of the original text. We, we can reject the truth of this statement and that this would be how God would actually work. But we can accept that this accurately describes the popular belief of Jesus' day. See, Jesus takes notice of this lame man who has been at the pool for quite some time. And Jesus approaches him. Now, now the ESV says that he knew of his condition. The NIV says that he learned of it. Same word, means the same thing. Jesus approaches him and he asks him this really important question that we're going to spend some time on here in a few minutes. He says, do you want to be healed? The sick man replied that he has no one to put him in the pool when the water is stirred. And Jesus says to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once he was healed. Have you ever misplaced your hope? And I don't mean like misplaced your car keys on the way out and you're late for the first meeting of the day. I mean like misplaced your hope, like like you've put your hope in the wrong place. You see, misplaced hope has a way of leading us to places we don't need to be, looking for hope in places it cannot be found. Misplaced hope leads us on misguided paths that has us grasping for something smaller than Jesus, and we tend to grab onto something fragile, something fleeting, something temporary, short-term, and short-lived. We tend to become sold out to something that is not willing to be sold out for us. It's what I like to call flimsy hope. And when I think of the word flimsy, it makes me go back to third grade. And I think, anybody else have this thing called Science Olympiad in their schools? 
where like there's a bunch of like these Olympic style science experiments. The egg drop is probably the most famous where you climb up on a ladder. Who thought it was okay for third graders to climb a ladder? I mean, that seems dangerous in and of itself. Let's have Justin climb a ladder. That seems like a good idea. You make a little basket, drop the egg, and oh, his fell and splatted. That's no good. He's out, right? You, you get a paper airplane, you fold it, and you see how long it's in flight. Like that's one of the, the, the events that you do. The event that I always wanted to be really good at was to build the bridge out of popsicle sticks. And then you get some glue or some tape, and then you see how much weight the bridge can bear this was a great event. I always wanted to be so good at it. I was good at Legos. This, just the information didn't transfer. And so I, I'd always get there, and I always want to be really good at this. And you'd have this one kid that build his bridge out of the supplies there, and he'd go and he'd stand on it, and it's like, what? I'm supposed to start with a book. And he's like over there, and he's like bouncing on it, and his bridge is like not even moving. I'm like, we had the same supplies? They're over here like, Justin, we're going to test yours with a paperclip. I'm like, be careful. Don't. It might break. I start to make up excuses why mine was so flimsy. I'm like, oh, the glue hasn't dried. We got our glue at Aldi. It needs another 13 hours. Um, or I'd be like, oh, I got the wrong tape. My mom got the wrong tape. Oh, so sorry. Or, oh, that kid over there who's standing on his, I saw him use an X-Acto knife. I'm using the safety rounded scissors that can't cut tissue paper on mine. I can't make up all kinds of excuses why mine was flimsy. I think we make up similar excuses when we misplace our hope. You see, we think we can latch our hope onto our jobs or our status or our kids' success or our family name or our degrees or our accomplishments or our projects or our bank accounts or our political parties or our opinions. And when we do this, we end up with flimsy hope that cannot withstand the weight of a paperclip, let alone the burdens we're trying to secure to it. And I think, I think the real reason we end up carrying our burdens around with us is that we haven't trusted in the right hope yet. We've latched on to flimsy hope instead of the hope that is in Christ and Christ alone. You see, it's easy to look at our story. It's easy to look at the lame man and wonder why he'd believe in such a fairy tale about the way God works in this, in this huge football field-sized pool that's 20 feet deep. It's, it's easy to mock this man, but we do the same thing as we sit and stare off into the distance and wonder why our hope hasn't panned out when all the while we have a Savior who has knelt in front of us asking us, do you want to be healed? See, the pool might be really deep, but hope becomes very, very shallow. And this question that Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? This is not a question set up for Jesus to gain an answer, but to gain this man's heart. He's trying to figure out what is in this man's heart. And his heart is frustrated. He's frustrated because he can't get in the pool. He steps away from healing in his mind. He steps away but can't get there. He's frustrated. And at best, when, when Jesus asks him this question, at best he's thinking, this guy might sit with me. He, he's asking me if I want to be healed. 
Maybe he's going to be a friend. Maybe he's going to sit and, and wait with me. And, and then when the waters, maybe we can talk about his travel stories. And maybe we can talk about maybe what happened before I was like this. And then when the waters are stirred, he'll, he'll just chuck me in. This will be great. By the way, I love it when we get a plan all ready for God and tell God, listen, I got it all queued up. All you got to do is hit play. That always works out for me. It doesn't. I just spoil it. See, the sick man is waiting on a miracle based on misplaced hope. And while the sick man cannot get into the pool by himself, Jesus can certainly get to him. And in a voice of healing and in a voice of instruction, Jesus says boldly to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once, the sick man just became the healed man. And he took up his bed. And he walked. 38 years of sickness. I'm 38 years old. 38 years of sickness. 38 years of suffering. 38 years of having this physical ailment shows the seriousness of his suffering and condition. But in an instant, the man is now carrying his bed and walking, which shows the completeness of his healing. In that moment, the man knew the pool wasn't what he needed. He needed the man in front of him. He he needed the healing offered by the man's voice. He needed the hope in the man's words. In that moment, this location of frustration became the historical marker of healing. He was not staggering off, but leaving with bodily strength necessary to carry his bed, which once had carried Jesus offers hope to those carrying the burden of brokenness. So we've discovered what is burdening our friend at poolside. But what is the burden of the Jewish leaders? What's the burden that the Jewish leaders are carrying, right? They don't seem to have a burden like the man at the pool. They don't, right? Their burden is actually much, much deeper. Because Jesus offers hope to those carrying the burden of self-righteousness. We get to verses 10 through 17, and this miracle has just happened in front of everyone. So the Jewish leaders see this man walking around, carrying his bed, and they begin questioning him about violating the law of carrying any sort of load or burden on the Sabbath. The man begins to defend himself by blaming the one who told him to do it. He starts ducking the leaders as he wants to avoid the trouble. You see, rabbinic Judaism had surrounded the Sabbath with literally hundreds of sub-rules to ensure their disciples did not break God's command to rest on the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders want to know who told him to carry this burden, who told him to carry his bed, but the healed man didn't catch his name. Now the place is super crowded. Later, Jesus finds the healed man in the temple and affirms his health and then charges him with sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you, which, which isn't Jesus implying that this man's physical ailment is, is because of uh, a, a previous sin, but Jesus is speaking directly beyond his physical well-being, speaking more for his spiritual well-being. Hope for the physical self and hope for the spiritual self as well. 
The healed man then goes and reports to the leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. But this was not to assist in appropriate praise, but to assign blame. And the Jewish leaders begin persecuting Jesus because of his actions outside of their regulations. And this text ends by Jesus showing them his ID. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Which is really Jesus saying, like father, like son. So where have the Jewish leaders misplaced their hope? Well, on this episode of Misplaced Hope, instead of hope being placed in a pool occasionally stirred by delusion, the Jewish leaders misplaced their hope in themselves, their rules and regulations, and their authority over and above others. You see, a man has been healed, and instead of walking alongside this man who can now walk, they lean in to criticize why he's walking and carrying his bed. It's unlawful for you to carry your bed or any burden or load for that matter. And the man deflects the blame from himself to one who healed him. The Jewish leaders began to ignore the healing again and reply in verse 12, Who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Right? Let's not focus on the positive outcome that came here from your interaction. But let's focus on the question of who told you you could break our rules. See, their concern is not that this man had received a miracle, that this man had received healing, that this man had been made whole, but that someone broke their rule, which challenges their authority. Which raises these two questions. Are they concerned with the Sabbath or with their authority? Do they see Sabbath rest being challenged? Or their own authority and regulations being challenged? You see, the progression of the conversation that John writes about in verses 10 through 12 moves from carrying the bed to what is unlawful on the Sabbath to authority. And then we see the same progression in verses 14 through 17 that John writes about with Jesus speaking with the man being healed, meaning that he is carrying his bed. See, you are well. He's still carrying his bed. Then the Jewish leaders begin persecuting Jesus because of his actions on the Sabbath, which leads to Jesus speaking about his authority. You see, hope will always be misplaced when it's not on Jesus. And again, just like our friend at poolside, it's easy to point fingers and pass blame on the Jewish leaders who have established for themselves a system by which they feel they are following God with their lives. But when the system, church, when the system becomes more about following rules and worrying about whose authority has been challenged rather than following God and submitting to his authority, that's when the burden of self-righteousness rises. It's when we place our hope and confidence in ourselves rather than our Savior. It's it's, it's when we want the appearance of holiness. It's, it's when we want to strive to check every box rather than check our hearts. It's when we believe that going through the motions is what it's all about. It's when we're more interested in information rather than transformation. It's when our Bibles are open, but our hearts remain closed. The burden of self-righteousness is this beautiful, circular path that leads us back to ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I know me, and my hope is not safe in my hands. Jesus offers hope to those carrying the burden of self-righteousness. And Jesus ends verse 17 by answering their persecuting with a statement about his authority, which is a forecast. It's a forecast. 
of what happens at the end of the gospel where Jesus again answers their persecuting with his authority. But if you look through the gospels, you'll see that Jesus' authority, every time it's brought up, it's always brought up with love. Here, Jesus answers them by saying, my father is working until now, and I am working. And this claim puts Jesus rightfully above the Jewish leader's authority as it places Jesus in line with God. You see, miracles have a way of communicating Jesus' identity and Jesus' intentions. And his intentions are clear all through the Gospels. He spells it out very clearly in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. His interaction with Zacchaeus, right at the end of it, he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's very clear. He says, these are my intentions. If we spend time and read through all of John's Gospels, John highlights these I am statements that Jesus makes that continue to clarify Jesus' identity. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. All of which communicate hope. Hope to those who need nourishment. Hope to those who need the light in the darkness. Hope to those who need a door. Hope to those who need guidance of a good shepherd. Hope to those who need resurrection and life. Hope to those who need to know that Jesus is the only way. He is the only source of truth and he is the only life. Hope to know that Jesus is the source of everything. He is hope to those carrying the burden of brokenness, and he is hope to those carrying the burden of self-righteousness. Jesus is the hope. He is the anchor in the storm, and he is the calm voice in the storm. He's the one leaning into our brokenness and our vulnerability at just the right time, asking, do you want to be healed? He's the one leaning into our self-righteous hearts and reminding us of his authority and his love. Church, we've settled for flimsy, fragile, temporary hope for far too long. We've settled for the spiritual task lists that have given the appearance of holiness but have not given up the heart. We've settled for hope in all the wrong places today may we not settle for hope in something smaller but may we surrender to the hope of Jesus which offers freedom now I found it really interesting in my study of this passage that the Jewish leaders first objection here their first objection is that the man is carrying a load he's carrying a burden on the Sabbath And while the Jewish leaders might not have been physically carrying anything in their hands, they were certainly carrying something in their hearts. Judgment, arrogance, ignorance, just to name a couple. And it makes me think about us today. While we might not have come in carrying anything in our hands except a cup of coffee or maybe our Bible, that maybe we're carrying something in our hearts too. And I would, offer, I would offer a guess that each one of us 
stage does not exclude anybody. I would offer that each of us is carrying some sort of burden in our hearts today that need to be surrendered to the hope of Jesus to find that freedom that is only found in Christ. So here's what I want to do. As, as I invite the band to come back up, they're going to lead us in another song. And during that song, even during our communion time, if you need to worship in a different space than your chair, do that. If you need to come up and just pray up here in the front, do that. If you need someone to pray with you, grab the person you came with and come up and pray together. I'll be up here. Our, our pastor, his wife, they'll be up here. Mr. Carl, he's, he's up here. We would love to just pray with you and for you and just listen to you. Here's the thing. Satan would love for us to leave with the same burdens that we came in with. Jesus would love for us to leave those here. So don't leave the same way that you came in. Take this opportunity. Spend a few moments of just quiet before the Lord. Allow him to be your Lord. Allow him to be your Savior, allow him to be the one who's kneeling down in front of you asking you, do you want to be healed? Allow him to be your king. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing together.